welcome to the Recover You podcast with Kyleen and Patrick Terhune. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Welcome back, Patrick. Welcome back, Kylene. Thanks. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about boundaries, which is a hot topic uh, during recovery. There are some people that love boundaries and appreciate them and jump right into them. And then there are other people who really resist them and have some limiting beliefs around what they are and kind of view them as um, parenting their spouse and just, you know, being really negative. So I want to talk today about what boundaries are, how you can set them uh, effectively, like around, you know, what's a process of creating them for your specific relationship and needs, and then also give some specific examples of things that we did to kind of get your wheels turning. Mm -hmm. I also have uh, a long boundaries workshop. I think it's like an hour and a half to two hours sort of breaking this down very specifically to help you think through um, every stage of creating boundaries and what that means for you. And um, that is inside the What's Next course, which is created for women who have just found out uh, that their husband is a sex or an addict and is in the first three to six months sort of navigating what the heck do I do? What steps do I take? Uh, how do I create boundaries? That That is in there and um, there's a lot of resources and support in there. So uh, we'll talk about it on today's podcast, but if you need more than that, just look at the link in the show notes. So the, the process that um, I typically recommend is creating uh, a list of green, yellow, and red uh, sections. The green is what I call wanted behaviors. The yellow are, th- this is not a relapse behavior, but this is not promoting health and may lead to a relapse. So what somebody else might call a slip. So yellows would be like slips or sort of in between like this wasn't definitely is not health promoting for our relationship, but it wasn't all the way into the relapse zone. And red is really anything that is completely non-negotiable. These are much more dramatic consequences and anything and everything that you would consider a relapse. And in order to create these, um, Uh, these lists, it's very, very, very important that you actually take the time to define yourself and together what a slip versus a relapse means. And we actually had a lot. I remember having several conversations about this. I was like, what do you think a slip is? This is what I think a slip is. Like, let's talk about this. What specifically is a relapse? And I remember having those conversations because it's really important to understand It's really important for your addict spouse to understand what you as the betrayed partner defines as a relapse, because everybody's going to define that very differently based on your past, your religious beliefs, the type of addictive behavior, right? So if one person thinks that, um, you know, maybe it's just pornography and that's the only thing that's a relapse, or maybe somebody else defines it as well, pornography is more of a slip, but actually physical acting out with a an affair partner is a relapse, right? Um, or somebody else may put pornography and physical affairs in the relapse and um, masturbating without pornography in a slip, or somebody else might put masturbation completely in the red in the relapse, right? So there's a lot of things to think through, but the first thing to do in order to create these lists is actually define what does the relapse mean? What does a slip mean? And make sure that you're both on the same page about that. Right. So one thing that I recommend to women is that they... Uh, actually write these boundaries out. And so here's another thing. We're assuming 
that in this situation, you are in a relationship where the, the addicted partner wants to participate, like they want to get sober, right? So there is a difference between boundaries that are conducive to recovering the relationship mm-hmm. and boundaries that are only put in place to protect yourself. Right. But essentially any boundary that you, that you create as the betrayed partner at all just means this is what's required to maintain relationship with me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really important consideration because it's not mean, it's not punitive. It's not, sometimes you do feel like you're parenting your spouse and it's like, well, yeah, they acted like a child. Well, and in, in, in a, in a lot of cases, that's, that's why, you know, that's why addiction centers exist because, you know, addicts need to get in there and they need somebody to help them detox. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of those things that actually helps the addict. If the addict is willing to go through that, it actually helps, helps get that beha- behavior in, in under control and, uh, and, and, and then also, you know, there's, there's two prongs to it, help the addict safety for the spouse. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, the real idea when, a, when a spouse is creating boundaries is asking yourself the question, what is it that I need to feel safe in this relationship? And what is it that I need in order to stay in a relationship with this person and feel safe and happy and loved and valued. Mm-hmm. Those that's kind of the baseline requirement of creating boundaries. So a lot of people have, I mean, I have come up against a lot of resistance with this, not in my own life. I was pro boundaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like the boundaries queen, but in a lot of the people that we interact with, um, there's a lot of discomfort. I think I, I would almost say, I don't know if it's fear, fear if I set a boundary that the relationship will be over or fear that the boundary won't be respected or um, just lack of comfort, maybe standing up for themselves and their needs or, or communicating that really strongly and powerfully. That might be something that maybe they're not used to um, being able to do. Um, so that's just something, you know, if if this is uncomfortable one of the things I talk about is maybe reframing what it is, maybe even coming up with a different word if the word boundaries is not something that you're happy with um, or, or comfortable with. And I kind of talk about that in the workshop too. Like how can we word this and create it in a way that works for you? Um, I think Pure Desire calls it the three circles. And and so there's a red circle, a yellow circle, and a green circle. And, and each circle has guardrails. Guardrails. Okay. See, that's a great word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the big question is if you're unwilling to do it at all, what is the fear there? What is the insecurity there? And then maybe working through that with someone that is supporting you, a practitioner, a coach, a therapist, et cetera, Um, because everyone has the right to protect themselves. Everyone has the right to set standards in the relationship. Everyone has the right to say, hey, we were under this mutual agreement. You violated the agreement. Here's my new set of terms. Mm-hmm. You know, and you kind of need to agree to these if we're going to move forward. Mm-hmm. So, again, just to kind of empower you, like you have the right to be loved, respected, valued, um, treated well in the relationship. And if that's not happening, some some boundaries can be set. And and anytime we're talking about pornography addiction, sex addiction, you're not being treated well, period. Like that is not, you know, that's not kind behavior. It's not loving behavior. It's not respectful behavior. And so this is clearly an area where boundaries are reasonable. Anything out of that? Mm-mm. No. Okay. Um, all right. So maybe we should talk about some specific examples of ones that, that we did. So money was involved in the behavior. So one of the things yep. I talk about in the workshop and everything is creating these based on your specific situation. So not only do you, um, 
define what a relapse and what a slip is for you, but also getting to understand what your partner's pattern was. Mm -hmm. How did they act out? What was the process? What were the steps involved? And when you sort of understand what their process was, you can actually create boundaries around that. Now, this is assuming that your partner is participating in the process. And you know what those patterns are. You know what the patterns are and they want the accountability. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about here. If you are in a situation where your husband is um, not really wanting the accountability, then the boundaries you're going to set are strictly going to be for your safety, your space, your protection. And those are all around um, what you need in order to feel safe. And they don't necessarily have to participate or not, because if they choose not to participate, then you make a different choice. That's information. Yeah, that's information. Exactly. But we're we're just going to kind of approach this as if both parties want to move forward in the relationship. And so the boundaries that we're going to talk about are mostly going to be revolving around that. Mm -hmm. So money was involved in our situation. So debit cards, cash and bank accounts were huge, Mm -hmm. which I did not like, by the way. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to be in the bank accounts. I don't want... They have to like look at QuickBooks. You know, I don't want to have to manage cash. It was actually, this is a really good one to talk about because yes, it was involved in there. The accounts, and this is important to note, the accounts that we had, you had access to. And so you didn't go in there. You weren't required to. So it's not like that's not a value judgment on you. It was just you. you had, it wasn't that you never had access to them or I created secret accounts. That wasn't part of it. Yeah, you weren't like hiding right. an offshore account yeah, that you used. Yeah. For- <laughs> but it was there. And I and I, you know, you 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 know what you just stated, your your lack of interest in going there and checking yeah. created this freedom in there in these things right to to spend this money and so when when but my point is like there was no accountability there was no no, point that you were being faithful that's right that's right i i you know i had like almost a decade of trusting you at this point thinking we know there's no reason to check that's right. like go that's in right. i would yeah. periodically be like hey do we have enough money for it to do xyz you tell me yes i was yeah. like checking in very loosely but right. essentially right. the way our relationship yeah. worked is i voluntarily gave you um oversight yeah. of the finances because i just like didn't want to yeah, yeah. well and, and what's interesting is is i'm i am very good at that and it's something that i can keep track of and and and, and go so you know what what we did you know initially very quickly is we took away i you know i kept the credit card i did all my purchases on the credit card um, i couldn't get cash that way took the debit card. um took the debit card uh there was another account that we that we just deactivated the card for it was another account that we had so there was no card anymore um you took possession of the checkbooks um and uh, uh so then we we kept a register that you could see if anytime there was checks made if i somehow got cash on a reimbursement passwords or everything right, passwords and i still actually i maintain that there's a there's a, a microsoft spreadsheet that we or that, uh, that that we keep now that has passwords and occasionally when they change them and I'll actually update it and email you the sheet. Going, oh my gosh, you psychos, you weren't sharing all of this in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> but I, realize. I think just as many people right. who say that there's going to be just as right. many other couples like, yeah, we should probably do that. I know, yeah. exactly. And that's what I'm saying is like, everybody's a little bit different. And yeah. some people just come in with an agreement of like, hey, everybody has everybody's passwords and we mutually budget, we mutually right. finance. And then a lot of times people just sort of mutually agree that it's one person's responsibility to do that right. and it's their job to communicate to the other person and that's okay we're not saying right yeah, you, or wrong on either side but right. when money is involved in an addiction mm-hmm. there become really strong boundaries around that obviously because it becomes an accountability piece yeah. 
Yeah. And what's interesting is it stayed that way um, really until not too long ago um, when we visit our son at, at West Point. The hotel where you stay doesn't take the credit card. They only take the debit card. And I think that's what drove to say, hey, can I carry the debit card Wait, again? you still have that? <laughs> yeah. Oops. Stop the recording. But, you know, so so there was a, you know, but we went months i think over a year you know with 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 that you know with in that probably two years yeah in in, in that scenario so yeah right and so there was a you know there was cash and and we did keep more cash on hand because we would pay keegan for chores but now he's gone so So there was cash in a drawer and we would sort of keep a ledger of hey i gave keegan this amount or hey i took this amount or whatever it had to be noted Mm -hmm. why the cash was being taken right Right. So one of the things I do now, and I actually is I actually keep track of the finances into like my own spreadsheet and I email it to Kyleen every Friday so she can go in and, and look at it. And it's it's verifiable. So yeah, she the, can that's go the in keyword, and, and, because and, if everybody's right. listened to the podcast, they know that you put yeah, it out. Yeah, spreadsheet there was a spreadsheet before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not honest. Right. So, so it's all verifiable. There's I nothing I'm hiding. And, access to all the accounts. Right. So if he gives me the spreadsheet, I can go in and check and see is there an, right. is there a charge that's not included or that doesn't make right. sense or that I, you know I'm not seeing yep. on there, whatever. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. if it and honestly. Regardless of where you think you are in life or in your relationship, if you're not married, if you're dating someone, if you're engaged or whatever, like we would highly, 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 highly recommend that everyone that's married or living together talking about their finances, not just talking about them has a password to everything. There's there should never be a phone that has a lock that your partner can't get into. There should not be an email that has a password that you can't access. I'm going to look at your phone right now. Okay. Uh, There's nothing bad on. Oh, you want to look at mine? Great. I don't have a problem with it. I already know your browser. But that's my point is like, um, there shouldn't be a bank account that you don't, you know, there there should be nothing shocking that shows up on a credit report that you didn't know about. Um, You know, so I I always thought after this came out, I was like, oh my gosh, every single premarital counseling session or or a couple, when they go into a session, the person counseling them should do a surprise um, phone audit. Yeah, a surprise audit of, hey, I want you to bring your laptop. I want you to bring your phone. Hey, guys, okay, what we're going to talk about today is trust. I want you to trade laptops. I want you to trade phones, give each other passwords. I want you to go look at browser history. I want you to look at the internet history on their phone. I want you to look at purchased apps, right? These are things that at this point, I believe, like, should be done before you get married so that yeah. you know who you're marrying yeah. right. um, and that there are no secrets. But, you know, as we all know, many of us are discovering this after the fact. Mm-hmm. And once that has happened, those things are like, there's a difference between privacy and secrecy. When you are married, you really don't have, you shouldn't have secrets. And if somebody is locking their phone and not letting you see something, they're keeping a secret from you. Mm-hmm. There's no reason. There's And there shouldn't, I can't really think of a lot of areas where there should be a lot of privacy even. There's a there's privacy in that like, hey, I'm doing this, just leave me alone, you know, whatever. But there should be no secrecy. Essentially, you should have access to everything all the time. If you asked for your partner to see something, to read something, to look up something, there should never be, with with total honesty, integrity, and vulnerability, there should never be a reason they say no. Right. Yeah. Right. So so the bank accounts was a big, was a, mm-hmm. ugh, was a man, that was a big thing. Um, electronics that mm-hmm. pretty much covers everybody. That's one of the primary reasons that people uh, get into this is because it's everywhere on technology, right? right? So one thing I, I wanted to mention is there's a difference between um 
accountability software and blockers. So I didn't, of course, really realize that at the time you had used uh, Covenant Eyes before or had tried to use it before I discovered. Uh, but then because you didn't have an accountability partner with the password, it didn't really do anything. Right. So then I think we started out with that. And I th- think then we used NetNanny. But ultimately, the difference is if you have an accountability software, software like NetNanny or Covenant Eyes, it's basically like you can do what you want to do to an extent. Some of, some of them some, block some a little come bit. Some come with blockers too. Some, yeah. some come with blockers. But to an extent, a lot of accountability software is essentially you have access to the internet. Mm-hmm. You can use all of your devices the way that they are designed to be used. And you don't have very many restrictions. But if you look something up that triggers this code word, somebody's going to get an email that shows what website you went right. to right. and what you were looking at. And so then... Basically, all the doors are open. You can do whatever you want to do. It's easy to do whatever you want to do, and you might just get in trouble later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate that so much for so many reasons. <laughs> I just think it's like, is what we talked about in the last episode, which is why are you leaving the door open? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, let me be an alcoholic that goes, sits at the bar and like smells the whiskey. Right. Right. Like, that's like, okay. Good luck with that for like seven days in a row, right? You're not going to take a sip. I think it really, you know, I think I think what's important to talk about here is where where are you at in recovery too? That's a really really important aspect. So so here and and you and I have talked about this because I don't have the internet or the ability to to access apps on my phone, and it you know it's not a big deal. It does create some some of the apps don't work well or at all, you know, because because of that. And you and I have occasionally broached that subject. You know, about like, well, what would it be? You know, would would we get an and there's actually some pretty cool other browsers out there that block. Mm-hmm. So you could get rid of Safari on your phone, you replace it with this other one that yeah. actually has blockers. So to your point, you can still use the internet, but it's going to block. But what we decided early on was no internet at all, disable Safari, disable the app store. Well, 100%. when you're getting, yeah, it, what you're talking about is like when you're trying to establish sobriety. Right. There should be no options, mm-hmm. no options. There should be no way for you to type something into your Google browser and something pops up. There should be no way for you to download an app if that was your pattern. You know what I mean? Like, right. take because in the phase of getting into sobriety, you're trying to pattern interrupt and block all of your and shift all of your patterns and habits. Now, we've talked mm-hmm. about why you have to get to the emotional part of that, but that does come a little bit later in the first couple of weeks in the first month of like actually trying to establish sobriety, you are in that phase of I'm trying to just not do the behavior. So it's like, okay, if you're in that early phase, make that as easy as possible. So if you have a thought and your brain starts following that pattern and you even open your laptop, you're like, oh yeah, I don't have the internet. Right, right. Right. That's so much easier than, well, for the first three months, I had an accountability software that allowed me to actually go to the website and I just kept getting in trouble by my accountability partner. Right. Mm-hmm. It's still the same pattern. And now you have the extra stress of like getting in trouble all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But now you're convinced because you have an accountability partner and that's not working that you're a horrible person. Right. Like it's yeah. just, yeah. it's just, I hate those. Well, and, and, and yeah, I, I will say this for me. And it's, it's funny because we always joke about this. It's like me silently judging you. So I don't have like any, like the only social media I have on, on my phone is Facebook, but you have a lot more. I'm like, boy, you're really wasting your time. Oh, your, but yeah. And your life. And, and so the, that's the joking part. The other, the real part of that though is like, I, you know, you don't, we don't need to be on these apps and that's a broader discussion, yeah. but sometimes the, the sobriety then recovery work leads you to do things like magically you read a book, magically you uh, maybe do something with your hands. 
um, constructive. Maybe you, you know, maybe Just clarify. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you build a garden. I mean, you do things that, yeah. you know, because, because these apps and things, they suck you in and even the ones that are designed to be okay. You know, they, yeah. they, they suck your time. So that's just something to consider. So what Patrick was talking about is we we have iPhones. And so essentially we ended up um, using the parental controls, which allows you to actually turn Safari, the internet off. And then there's another one that says you don't have access to the app store without a password. Mm-hmm. So basically anytime he wants to download a new app, I can go in there, put the password in, open the app store, purchase it. Or like, I'll go in sometimes and like update his apps and stuff like that to make sure he's able to use what's on his phone. Mm -hmm. So it's really not, um, it really has not been bad at all. Um, but you know what you're, when you're talking about like the uh, laptops and stuff, he has a work laptop that whatever blocking service they have, I want to know what it is (laughs) because it allows full functionality of, you know, YouTube and Google and all this kind of stuff but it blocks like every single thing you would want to block. So if you tried to search for something, you could not. And it's it's proven to be very effective because even if you go to like YouTube, it'll block things that aren't even, right. you know, if, if there's a specific word or like a, a possibility of mm-hmm. it being inappropriate, it will block it. Right. So um, I have told you many times, like, you need to call IT and ask, like, what is this? that they download on your laptop because it's amazing. The other thing, and this has come up several times is that sometimes there are guys in addict brain that are people that look for loopholes. And I think this goes back into the last episode that we talked about making empowering choices and choosing your identity and all that kind of stuff, being willing to ask yourself the question, why am I in that pattern? What does looking for loopholes get me? Mm -hmm. Because if you are not willing to break that pattern, then it doesn't matter if it's a blocker, if it's an accountability software, whatever it is. Like if, again, you'll do what you want to do. If you want to find a way to relapse, you will relapse. So ultimately it boils down to the heart change, the decision, Mm -hmm. the choice that I'm not going to do that. And then these things are tools to help you make it easier, right? We talked about the fact that there are multiple steps of decision-making that go into actually relapsing. Mm -hmm. And these are just things that get put in place to kind of like remind you, hey, you're on step one. Hey, you're on step three. Like if you want to override this system, it's going to take conscious effort. And for the betrayed spouse, and for the betrayed spouse, I really want you to hear that. That is important. In order for somebody to relapse in that way where they have overridden several steps and that is a conscious choice and that that it needs to be treated and viewed as such mm-hmm. and that's an important thing to realize yes <laughs> <laughs> i just think that's an i don't know i maybe people yeah i mean i, I, I think, I think important well i i think you know i think i think relapse is a choice and and much like the behavior was a choice. I mean, like all of, all of these things, you know, yeah, lying is a choice, everything. Spectrum of addiction. Right. I mean, there's, there's, there's reasons why it was hard, right. All of these different things. But I think, I think the point is, is in, in, and I know some folks who are IT, T folks and they have, you know, they know workarounds, they know all, all of these different things. But I think the ones that have been successful have really found ways to make the layers very deep. Right. Yeah. For the the point. Yeah. Like if, if you know yourself, Mm -hmm. okay. Are you the kind of person that's going to look for a loophole? Great. How many boundaries can you put up for yourself? Right. How many levels of difficulty can you put up for yourself to make you stop and pause and think? Mm -hmm. 
So if you're an IT guy, great. Have some magic function where you Google something and it shuts your whole phone down for five minutes. <laughs> like, I don't know. Right, right. You know, like figure out a way that it will it will give you pause, enough time to pause and call somebody or think or ask yourself some questions and reflect about like why you're doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so some other things we so we talked about the cell phone, we talked about laptops, um, blockers versus accountability software, that sort of thing. There's also a bunch of stuff that like I just never would have even thought about, like smart TVs, Xboxes, gaming systems, stuff like that. There's all these different ways that people can access the internet. And again, it is one of those things where it's like if they want to, they will, but that's not the point right? The point is put the boundaries, put the blocks up. And then as you're going through this process, you will find out very quickly, do they, do they want to relapse or do they want to stay sober? Are they doing the work? Are they going to therapy? All this kind of stuff, right? So Mm -hmm. we find value in all of it because it's just a safety measure, security. It's an extra layer. Um, It helped me feel really calm. And, and I also knew you were somebody that was not going to try to override it in any way. What's, what's actually important to to talk about too, is in these boundaries, you know, for example, me not being able to install apps, it drives communication. So there's nothing wrong with me coming to Kylie and saying, Hey, I need you to update my American airlines app because I'm traveling for business. Yeah. That's not bad. That's something I need. And and if Kylie was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, then that would be like, well, what's that all about? You know what I mean? Like we'd have to figure out that, yeah, but it drives communication. That's a line too. That's important. Maybe to talk about in this boundaries episode. And that is, it's not about controlling your spouse. No. That is not the goal. And it, it can feel like that at first, um, when you are in a little bit of an emergency parenting role. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they want to get the accountability, they'll essentially ask you to step into that role. Mm-hmm. Hey, I need this extra accountability, right? And that's what you're doing. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, but it's not about controlling. I'm it's I'm not trying to control your life. Um, I am trying to protect myself mm-hmm. and to get a little bit of there are some things that make me feel a little safer. Um, and there are some things that make you feel a little safer having them off the table. Absolutely, yeah. And so when we kind of talked through all of these and decided, hey, this will make me feel better. Hey, this will make me feel better. Hey, I need accountability with this. You know, all this kind of stuff. That's ultimately it's because we both wanted the same things. Yeah. And it's not because I'm trying to like, you know, even with the app stuff, right? Like I'm not, tr- I'm, it's not fun for me to be like, you know, every you know week or so you're like, hey, I need five apps updated. Okay, great. I'll go in and I'll take the password. Like that's not. I don't love that aspect of the the fallout, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, well, I have to go into your phone now and like have control over this. It's not like I want the control. You know what I mean? Right. But that's something that we've done because it just makes it safer. So that if you travel um, and you don't have the password, there's no way that you're going to be on your phone downloading things that you previously would have, right. you know, because again, yeah. again, that specifically fell within the pattern of addiction for you. Right. And so that was, that's specifically set up to control that the primary device was your phone. And so it's like, okay, let's do everything we can on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yep. But again, there are smart TVs or if guys are gamers or stuff like Xbox. So with our smart TV, I don't know a lot about the gaming systems, but I know there's way to kind of there's parental controls and lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. And with the smart TV. Just a heads up for everybody. I heard this from from somebody is that some of the parental controls are going away on some of these. Really? On some of these gaming devices. I It's only for me hearing it. But mm, that's just, scary. just saying that so people can get in there and. Oh, that's and, scary just for kids. Yeah, like, right. And so like, because, you know, a parent could go in and set those controls. Mm-hmm. But I guess 
some of that's going away with certain updates and stuff oh, like that. So, that's crazy. you know, I could be wrong, but it's worth going in and researching if if that's your situation. Mm-hmm. Well, so. I would, if, if you have boys, if you have children, mm-hmm. boys or girls, um, any piece of technology, look at the that parental. They have, yeah. Look at the parental yeah. controls because it's it's scary now. Mm-hmm. And and we talked about this, I'm sure, on previous episodes. Like how they're getting exposed now is essentially at a young age, some piece of technology, something right. pops up. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like, it's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but so with smart TVs, we have like, essentially, it's kind of like a phone. You have apps on it and you can lock it and put a password and, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So you can have money boundaries. You can have um, kind of electronic and technology boundaries. Physical boundaries is huge. So... Sometimes that means um, somebody's sleeping in a separate room. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that means you're sleeping in the same room, but you're not having sex. Again, like all of these kind of depend on where you're at in, mm-hmm. like, are you getting into sobriety? Are you getting into recovery? Um, how stable do you feel in your relationship and in your sobriety and recovery? Like, is there a lot of consistency and safety established? What does the betrayed spouse need to feel safe and grounded and loved and valued and cared for? And not in a false sense, but in a true emotional intimacy sense. And so in in that throughout the growth process may shift week to week, day to day, month to month, but you'll see it uh, as long as you're kind of both moving forward, you'll see a general trajectory of things shifting and changing the way you want them to. But a lot of those physical boundaries um, may be stronger up front. Um, They may, they may end up being consequences. You know, sometimes if a guy, you know, does something in the yellow where it was not promoting of uh, health in their relationship, but it wasn't quite a relapse, that's enough to send her nervous system into a spiral, make her feel unsafe. And sometimes the boundary for that is a physical consequence of, Hey, like I don't feel sleep, safe sleeping next to you tonight because I'm really stressed by this behavior. I need you to sleep in the other room. I actually heard this uh, from Doug, Doug Weiss. It was, it was really good. He was saying that one of the most proactive things the uh, betrayer can do is if in the yellow or the red or whatever, if you do something that actually has a consequence, don't rely on the betrayed spouse to enforce the consequence. So if it happens, you're already working on the consequence. So for example, I think the example he used was picking up trash or something like that. He's like, go out and pick up the trash. Don't wait for for the spouse to go, hey, you violated this thing. Now you must go pick up trash. Say, hey, this happened. I'm going to go pick up the oh, trash. Oh, because you guys have pre-agreed right, on. Right. Whatever that consequence yeah. may be. I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight. So go ahead and just set yourself up to take the punishment. While communicating what's right. happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make exactly. sure that piece is there. Yeah, exactly. But you're, but you're not waiting for them to dole out the, right. yeah. yeah. But that, so that actually leads into the next area that's really common for boundaries and that is communication. So that wasn't really a place that we set boundaries because thankfully that I think was one of our strongest areas that, that really helped us through the process. We always were able to communicate really well um, and effectively. And that, that wasn't really a strong issue, but a lot of couples, this is a strong issue and there may be manipulation. There may be gaslighting. There might be blaming. There might be a lot of yelling. Right. Um, and so when that happens, a lot of times communication is a place where they set boundaries very early on and say, Hey, you know, this is how this makes me feel when you do X, Y, Z, I'm not willing to tolerate X, Y, Z. And so just as an example, if I catch you gaslighting me, I'm just going to, in my head, acknowledge that that's what's happening. And just so you know, so that you're aware, I'm going to walk away, mm-hmm. right? Or you know, something like that. And these are all things that, again, based on your experience, your relationship, their patterns, all this kind of stuff, 
you, your therapist, your coach, your practitioner can start itemizing what you want your relationship to look like, how it is now, and what it is that you want to set these boundaries on. And remember too, um, there's the green section of boundaries and that is what you want. These are beneficial, right? So maybe that is where you focus on Mm -hmm. with the communication. Maybe your communication isn't bad. Like there's no yelling, there's no fighting, right? But um, maybe you want more communication. You want better communication. Maybe you want some check-ins and and that goes on to the uh, list of uh, ideal requirements, right? Hey, I need to check in with you once a week about your recovery. And these are the questions I want to ask. And you you guys can kind of talk through that. Mm -hmm. Anything else with communication? No, I think it's just important. I mean, you know, we treat people well, you know, on both sides. You understand that there's a lot of hurt on both sides. And so it's hard. There's a lot of emotion in these situations and no one deserves to be berated unmercilessly. No one. And so, you know what I mean? As you, as you're going through it and, and keep that in mind. And then sometimes it's a hard thing because the betrayed spouse is very hurt. And, mm-hmm. and so, but, you know, in order to heal for the both of you, mm-hmm. you're getting to a point where you can communicate in the most respectful way and mm-hmm. accept and say, I recognize I hurt you. I'm very sorry about that. And, and, you know, the, the other spouse to say, Hey, I, I'm just very hurt by what you did. And, you know, those are good conversations to have, you know? Well, here, I think if you had to summarize that, I think here's how, you know, if you have really good communication and connection, I would say, in your relationship. And that is if you feel safe sharing how you feel, mm-hmm. whether that it, if you feel safe being angry, if you feel safe being hurt, if you feel safe saying you've hurt my feelings, if you feel safe saying I need you to do X to make me feel this way, right? Um, if you feel safe being who you are and expressing your emotions with uh with all of their range mm-hmm. right and you know that that is going to be received and that is going to be thought through and then they will um be able to engage in conversation with you and again all of this is respectful right like you can be angry and be i don't want to say polite but like Oh, you can. Yeah, like yeah. you you can be angry and present it in a right. way that's hey, effective. That's give not me five I, minutes and I'll come back. And well, there, well, I mean, there's all kinds of like, things. You do. I was angry several times and I got, I would say heated several times, but I wasn't like, well, that I remember, and maybe you should correct me on this, but most often I wasn't like attacking you as a human being. I was angry at the situation, right? And mm-hmm. it's totally valid. It's totally valid for me to express all of those emotions. And I always felt safe expressing those. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, you, you'll you know if you're on the right page, if you feel totally safe, that that person is going to receive that and respond to it in a positive way and vice versa. As Patrick was recovering and beginning to feel more emotions because he wasn't self-medicating, he felt safe coming to me and saying, I have anxiety or I'm struggling with this or I'm feeling this or I'm dealing with this. And so... If that, you know, in, in the green section of the, the goals and the boundaries and everything like that, if communication isn't where you want it to be, that can go in that section of like, Hey, this is what I expect and what I want. And these are the things I want to work on and move towards and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then, you know, it can also be like, Hey, I expect to be uh, spoken to nicely, um, that, you know, that's going to go into the yellow and red of like, Hey, you're gaslighting me. You're blaming me for your bad behavior. You're, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it gets to a certain point. I'm, this is not something I'm willing to tolerate anymore. Right. Yeah. 
And that's, again, we would encourage you to always be working with a coach, a practitioner, a therapist. Like these are really hard things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they're hard to figure out in the moment based on all the intricacies right. of the relationship. I had I had a client that um, there was kind of an abuse pattern and a conversational pattern that they were just sort of used to. And it took a lot of conversations together um, because she would say, I can kind of see it after the fact, but... I never realize it's happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. So I kind of coached her through what to look for and how to kind of process and understand that. And now she totally, she totally, I think, catches it in the moment. And she's more willing to speak her voice and say how she feels and all this kind of stuff. So it is hard when you're in it and you're used to a certain person and a certain energy and a certain pattern because you guys know how to push each other's buttons, right? You know exactly what that process is going to be and you know how to do it on both sides. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in that pattern, definitely getting support outside from an outside perspective to break that pattern. Um, But either way, putting that on the list is going to be important. Okay, so um, there's other stuff that's, again, just going to be very specific to your relationship and his behavior. So things like Life360, right? That's an app that shows me where you are, where your location is. Now, for- I know families that use that regardless. Oh yeah, there's so many families that just do that. That's a thing. Is like sometimes when you go on the internet and you talk about boundaries like this, people are like, oh my gosh, if you have to know their location, you don't trust them and that's a horrible relationship. I'm like, Parents have this on their kids' phones all the time. And like some couples just do this because they want to like pop in and be like, where are you right now? Right. Like it's just, and again, if you don't have anything to hide, there's no reason to feel triggered by a location app. Like the only reason you would feel triggered is if you are hiding something. Like, I'm sorry. There's no reason for your spouse not to know where you are Mm -hmm. and to be able to like check your location. Like what? Like why would you feel like that's a bad thing? So um, but this will be more prevalent and like more important if they were having like physical affairs or, you know, engaging with prostitutes or whatever, um, because that becomes really important because they said, hey, I'm coming home from or I'm staying late at work. And all of a sudden you find out they were somewhere else. Right. right. Um, that is a big piece of accountability in those types of situations. Mm-hmm. In ours, it was just something of, you know, I didn't think that was an issue, but I've even found it helpful. Like the fact, like I know Monday and Tuesday nights, you go and lead your groups. And so sometimes I'll be like, has he left yet? Is he on his way home? Right. Like, it's just silly stuff like that. Or like, yeah. have you left work yet? Like, are you going home? So, um, but for other people, it's a legitimate like accountability piece because of behavior. So mm-hmm. things like that to consider other little things like no cell phone in the bathroom, right? Like you, you take into consideration the device that was used to act out, the pattern that was used to act out, the location that was used to act out, and you put boundaries in place around those behaviors, places, patterns, right. things. Another like good that. one would be if you have a if you have a home computer mm-hmm. and people maybe don't have those, but they may have a home laptop, right? That's shared. Put that in a public space. Get it out into yeah. a public space. Don't don't make it a thing that you take into another room or something like that. It's well, just it's, a good practice. Yeah. I mean that's just again, it's if you don't have anything to hide. None of this should be triggering. Right. And sometimes you hear guys that are recovering, are are trying to move into sobriety and they get really offended by these. Well, I feel like, feel like you're bossing me around. I feel like if, if, if I have to bring my laptop out, you have to bring your laptop out. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, I don't have an issue with that because I don't have anything to hide. But secondly, I don't have to do that because I've never done anything that's hurt you that I, I'm not hiding anything. Mm-hmm. I've never broken the trust. I've never broken the agreement, right? So a lot of times when they try to push back like that, that's a real red flag that they're not actually recognizing the damage that they've caused and they're not taking responsibility for their behavior. Mm-hmm. Because if you're taking responsibility fully that you are the one that has done this, not your wife, she's not responsible for your behavior or 
the betrayed partner, whoever that is, and you're willing to take responsibility and you're not hiding anything at this point, then you shouldn't be triggered by any of these. If they're triggered by any of these, red flag. Morning check-ins, again, specific to behavior. Patrick tended to, to act out in the morning. So um, we put, um, <laughs> how many did we have at one point? It was like three to five check-ins. Yeah, so I would get up in the morning, say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go work out. And then I'd finish my workout and I'd come up and say, hey, I'm done working out. Everything's okay. And then I would say goodbye to you. So that was three. So and and so you would lightly wake up through that, which would lead to a bad day of sleep. So we've recently just but that was too again, that was like in place yeah. every single day for two years. Yeah. So over we, two years. What we've done is we've started going to what I do when I'm traveling. I send you a text that says, Hey, I'm up and then yeah, hey, I'm working out, I'm done working out, or yeah. whatever. So again, like as you go through this process, you're modifying, you're changing, you're basing it on the, the behavior, yeah. the the place and recovery, your feeling of safety and security, what you need moving forward. Do you need less? That's cool. Well, that's great. That's yeah. trust is building, right? Um, but again, that was based on like what time of day was the behavior. And that in the beginning, several months, I actually woke up with you in the morning and was kind of like checking in and um having you check in with me. And it was much more like for the first several days, like I would wake up at whatever it was, like four, four thirty, five o'clock, because I was so stressed knowing mm-hmm. that that is when you would typically act out the most. Yeah. And so that really, really worried me. And so my body would wake me up. And so then we came up with the check-in system where, okay, I can stay in bed, but you're going to communicate several times about what you're doing and what you're engaging in and that everything's okay, that you're not triggered, you're not tempted to relapse, right? Like you were telling me these things. Mm-hmm. And then letting me know when you were going off to work. So I had yeah. like all this communication with you. And now you just sort of text it to me so I can actually sleep. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you're still taking polygraphs. So we're mm-hmm. good. Um, therapy, going to therapy and groups. That's a common one to put a boundary on of like, mm-hmm. Hey, because either they're going to take it seriously and want to do that anyway, or you need to set that as a boundary of like, Hey, this is serious. I need you to get help. Yeah. Right. Because you find out that this is something that's been going on for years. It's undermined your trust, your safety, your relationship, they need to get support for that. So a very common boundary is you need to go to therapy once a week and you need to be in some sort of group once a week. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a super common, very reasonable expectation. Because the reality is this is typically something that's been going on for decades. And so the healing process is two to five years for men. Mm-hmm. So the idea of how how much effort can we put into this up front and how quickly can we um, make the shifts? You know, you're going to do maybe the shorter end of that spectrum, maybe it'll be one to two years. That would be great. Right. Of like actually feeling solidly in recovery, but things that have been going on for decades are not going to be done in like three months or six months. That's just not how it works. So super common boundary. I need to know that you're serious about this. Show me that you're in therapy. Show me that you're in group, come home and maybe tell me like, what are you learning? Like, and then as a spouse, you're also going to be able to like watch them and see like, are they, interested in what they're learning about are they Mm -hmm. doing it just because you're asking them to do it are they doing it because they want to are they resisting it or are they like really are you seeing behavior change because that's Mm -hmm. ultimately the goal right it's not that they go to therapy every single week it's that their heart and their mind begins to change that they begin to express empathy that they are learning about trauma that they are understanding like how damaging their behavior was and how it's abusive to you and all this kind of stuff if those things aren't happening because they're just going to check the box that they're going then those are two separate situations yeah i think the uh the the one that we went through and i noticed you didn't have it right written down there is is the alcohol Oh yeah. Yeah. And so what you had said, and, and, you know, it was, it was valid because you didn't know, was this a co-addiction thing, you know, stuff like that was, 
hey, I don't want you having a drink without letting me know. And, you know, then we kind of even said like no more than two drinks at, at, at the time. So, um, so we went through that for a while. And then finally I came back to you and I was like, Hey, what are we, you know, what's the intent? And I remember that conversation. I think you cried. Um, and, and it was because I yeah, think I you, you didn't, thinking. you, I think you were like, no, it's actually not related to it. I think yeah, you just liked, be, you liked a little bit of the control. Yeah. It was a little scary because you were kind of letting that go. You know? Yeah. And that's something that's a good point to bring up for the betrayed spouse too, because mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, it's not about control. There will be some times where things are put in place for totally reasonable Mm-hmm. at the time that you have to reassess later. And that may be hard because at that point it is control. And the reason you want to hold on to that is for a measure of security, control, and safety that that like mm-hmm. that that feeling of control may give you, right. Right? right? And that is really hard to let go of. But in, in a healthy relationship that's moving forward, you're going to slowly release that control because again, if they want to, they will. If they don't, they won't. And so as you begin to trust their behavior and their motives and their heart and their change, are they, are they just in sobriety or are they actually in recovery? If they're actually in recovery, then one by one, you're going to start releasing these little pieces of control. And that's hard. And that's what we kind of fit with that. I remember, and and we've talked about this. I remember it was probably about uh, nine or 10 months in and we were talking about something and you made a, you made a comment and you said, you'll never travel by yourself again. And I remember like, I didn't respond because I knew that, you know, I heard you. Yeah, Yeah. You said that, but I was mad about it. Right. And, and so, but, you know, thinking it through and kind of going through it, I travel by myself all the time now. It was a, it was a reaction to the hurt that you were under, you know, you, you didn't want to get hurt again. And so, but that's unreasonable like that. Then that at that point, that's a warden with a prisoner and and no, no relationship should be in that kind of a dynamic. Yeah. And so we work through that and I travel now for business and well, alone you, and all of this. At the right point. Mm-hmm. We yeah. mutually agreed that you were I had to. deeply in recovery right. Right. Yeah. and that it was time that that was okay. Yeah. 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 Had and, that been, and this is the thing, don't try to force it because had that been forced like even six months earlier, that may not have gone well. Yeah. Uh, obviously at that time, whenever I made that statement, it was not in my sphere of consciousness that that was safe at all ever, right? Like, cause we, at that level, we're not at that period of time, we're not at that level of trust. Yeah. And so, and, and just so everybody knows, did you say month 10? Yeah, it was about that. Yeah. Like the first year is like, survival and stability yeah so yeah, yeah. That, you're trying to totally figure things out in terms yeah. of like the timeline right. and i wasn't pushing to it was, it's funny i wasn't even pushing to travel i think it was in it was in relation to a comment where i said i'd like to go do something oh, yeah. and and it was, I was like no <laughs> yeah you're like no and i remember i was like well that's interesting and so so it was you know and and it's really interesting because a lot of times i think this this goes to the heart of something else is the addict in a lot of ways will feel um, and you've got to, you've got to be attuned to each other on this as the addict will feel I'm getting better. Why are you still having these boundaries in place? And you have to understand. And that's where you have to work as a couple on that to really compromise with each other, work with each other. If the, if the addict truly does feel good, 
don't be afraid to push it, but make sure there's... Here's the thing from the betrayed spouse side. I'm just going to throw this in there. A lot of guys say that mm-hmm. when they have not done the deep recovery work and they're it. not in the position to actually say that. No, I understand. So a lot of guys will throw that out there. Like, well, I'm not doing the behavior. You right. should just you should just um, be okay with this. Yeah. And they're like, if there's, they say that and they use that right. way too early. But I, a lot I of times know, that phrase is used... From people that are also doing things like the gaslighting and the blaming, or they're still doing something like, you know, in the yellow that their spouse like still doesn't trust them because that's happening regularly, right? So I do want to throw that in there because if a if a betrayed spouse is listening to this and she's hearing that, she's like, oh well, maybe I need to compromise more. No, not if that's your situation. Well, the point I was I was gonna make was it has to be replaced with new boundaries. Yeah. So for, you know, like in our case, the no traveling thing got replaced by travel. But within that, there was things that we discussed about the TVs in the room. There was right. check-ins that happened. There was the, the potential for, and, and we didn't do this, but you could be that, hey, when you get back from that trip, you're going to take a polygraph. And so it's not just a free-for-all. The whole point right. is to to graduate into those things. So yeah, you're absolutely right. If 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 the if the uh if the attic is still gaslighting and you can't see his phone and all of this stuff, well no, keep those things in place. Well, and and also too, I think um let's just say they are totally in sobriety and moving into recovery. That's kind of an uh, it depends on how that statement is made. It can come off as incredibly unempathetic if she's mm-hmm. basically still in a place of feeling unsafe and triggered and emotional and mm-hmm. you know so here's an example of where that would be really inappropriate. Six years in, you're doing really great. I come in and I tell you, hey, I'm feeling really insecure tonight. And if you go, well, why are you feeling insecure at six years in? That is so wrong in that situation. That's like the absolute wrong response. And that's not what we're saying at all. Right. <laughs> right. right yeah. it really, it's only like if you're both on the same page and it's time to sort of move into that next phase of, okay, where there's a little bit more freedom. Hey, let's talk about this. But there's a way to do it of like, hey, is this a control thing? Like, is it time to move? But I don't know. I think the term, like the, the yeah. way that sentence is phrased is typically used in a really negative way. And we, that's not what we're well, and, 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 and here's a good example. So if you, if the, if the man had affairs at work and for business, he has to travel with the affair partner, that may be off the table forever. You know what I mean? That that may be something that's just like, hey, we're, would be off the yeah, we're never going to do that again because that's just not, and and that's completely understandable. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I think I think there are some things that you just don't go past. Yeah. You know, and and stuff like that. I guess what I'm saying is, don't be afraid as a couple to evaluate these things. And if if the addict has is a, has made a real great path of recovery, and just because that's what hit me with the alcohol thing was, I was like, mm-hmm. what? And I think I even asked you, I was like. What are you intending to do here? And you had a hard time answering that. Right. And well, again, you're not using the sentence of like, well, why are you upset about the alcohol? Like, I'm doing great. Like, don't say it that way. Right. And that's not how you said it. What you did was essentially like, Let, mm, let's talk about this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm doing really well. Is I think you might have said something to the effect of, is there a reason that this is still, I'm starting to get a little annoyed by this boundary because I don't think it's an issue. Yeah, I couldn't see the reason behind it. Right. So can you tell me, is there a reason behind it? And then we talked about it. And I, you know, on my end, I had to do the internal reflection of why do I feel this way about it? Why is it making me emotional? Mm -hmm. Why do I feel the need to control this based on where you're at? 
right? right? Because you were doing really well. And I didn't at that point think that alcohol had anything to do with your behavior. So why was I holding on to it? And I had to do that internal work and kind of process the emotions that were then associated with letting that piece of control go. And and I will say this too. And I remember having this conversation. If, if you, I was willing to continue, like I was really willing to continue. Um, So it wasn't like with the boundary. Yeah. With the boundary. I wasn't like going to be like, well, the heck with this or anything like that. I was willing to continue. And, and so I felt, I felt strongly about that, but, but I also felt to your point that I was like, okay, I don't see how this is related to the behavior that had caused the. the Well, and again, that's all about kind of what we were talking about in the beginning is if, if you are a couple that he does want the accountability and you are deciding to kind of see if this works and move together, it does need to be a mutual process. Mm -hmm. There has to be an incredible, almost an uncomfortable amount of communication through this process where you're constantly saying you both understand the why behind everything that you're doing and you're both on the same page about the why. Now, sometimes the why may lean more towards one partner or the other, Mm -hmm. but the idea is that you are both trying actively to promote safety and stability for each other and to provide empathy and compassion for the other. Because from the betrayed side, you know, we are also to be compassionate and empathetic about the addict. Now that doesn't excuse the behavior, but it does provide empathy and compassion. And, and ultimately like your goal for the addict is that they live a healthy, free, happy, normal life and that they feel valued and loved and respected and that they feel empowered and that they feel like a decent human being that has a say in their life. And that, you know, is able to contribute back into your life as a mutually valued and respected and loved partner. Mm -hmm. And so and it, it, there are a lot of phases where in the beginning you are, you do take a little w- weird sort of like shift in the relationship dynamic. And like one is more of a parent as you're sort of getting your feet on the ground and figuring out what's happening. And then you sort of move into uh, another phase where it's like all the accountability is still there, but you're processing together and you're moving forward and you're still a little bit more in control of things because that's, you know, what's appropriate in that time and what's helpful. And then as you continue to move forward, you begin to release control and eventually you move back up into equal partnership. And that's ultimately the goal. And so what we're kind of talking about here is when you kind of are noticing, hey, it's time to move up there and you're not moving up there, right? Having that conversation. But again, those conversations are able to be had when there is that stability, when there is that level of respect and vulnerability that you're willing to have with your partner and that level of communication that says, hey, you we're in this together. I still love you. I want this to work out. And so because of that, I'm willing to talk about, and you know, the alcohol example, like I felt really insecure about that, right? So being willing to talk about the emotions underneath the decisions, because if the emotions aren't talked about, then it's a lot of things kind of being thrown out here and there as like little control pieces of like, well, I need this and I need this, but nobody understands why. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to make a big difference. Absolutely. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, um, I, think so. I think we kind of hit the big ones. There's a lot more, um, you know, again, if something popped up in your head and you're wondering, Hey, is this appropriate? It probably is. It's very customizable. It's very customizable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, coaches, practitioners, therapists, um, you know, people that are familiar with addiction, the process, people that are familiar with recovery, people that, that are familiar with trauma and betrayal. Those are the people you want in your corner to kind of like throw these out there. Like, Hey, what do you think about this? What about this communication? My husband said this, it made me feel this way. Is that normal? Um, we have this boundary. Is that normal? Um, that sort of thing. Right. And uh, that can be really helpful. And if you need uh, some some uh, work with that, the What's Next course has a whole section on boundaries. So that is available at the link in the uh, show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but reach out if you have any other questions. We would love to support you. Yeah. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.